0: Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise.
1: Hello and welcome to the EM360 Podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360, and I'm your host on today's podcast. Now make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts wherever you go for your podcasting fix. Now, in today's episode, I'm being joined by James Hadley, who is the founder and CEO at Immersive Labs. James is here to walk through the importance of democratizing access to cybersecurity and building a cyber resilient workforce. So James, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Looking forward to delving into today's topic. But before we get to the lovely questions, would you mind just letting our listeners know a little bit about yourself and maybe Immersive Labs as well? Yeah, sure. So I'm James, founder and CEO of Immersive Labs. We're a company that originally
0: started in the UK, although we're pretty much global now. Um, and we help large organizations measure the capability of their cybersecurity teams. And we do this across the operators in the red and the blue team, cloud engineers, developers, all the way through executives in terms of the decisions they make during a cyber crisis. And this all helps build a uh, cyber resilience program across that. T- across those teams, and we call that cyber workforce optimization.
1: Perfect. I like to you emphasize measuring there. That. That's the important thing to take away, isn't it? We've got to make sure these companies know what's going on and how to really deal with their cybersecurity and cyber resilient issues going forward. So let's kick off then and talk about. Obviously, in the introduction, I mentioned we're going to be breaking down access to cybersecurity, making sure the workforce is understanding what's going on within organizations but for those who are not familiar with what we're talking about today or have dabbled in it and need a little bit of a refresher, could you maybe um, give us an idea of what this democratizing access to cybersecurity is? Give us an overview and how this kind of applies to different organizations.
0: Yeah, sure. I think um, as I answer the question, I will probably think of it in two parts in my head. So first of all, I think about what is the wider industry doing to help democratize access to cybersecurity? How are we going to help Plug the cyber skills gap, remove unconscious bias, and help increase diversity. Um, so, if I tar- target that one first before going into how uh, you know sort of uh, enterprise companies do, it or how we support enterprise companies doing it, talk about the wider industry. So, obviously, it's a huge cyber skills shortage at the moment. There's not enough people going into cybersecurity, and there's lots of different approaches that are being taken, sort of training boot camps, more professional certifications, degrees, and more schools are starting to focus on this. For me, I think we're always going to have this challenge because we don't have role models. You know, when we grow up, our parents are like, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? And we talk about doctor, you know, policeman, smart. we never really talk about well cybersecurity engineer. You get know, this really lucrative job where there's a skill shortage and very obviously good uh, bands of pay at the moment because of the shortage. So I think that's one of the issues. So for me, democratising access to cybersecurity is how do we open the door on the profession? How do we help people who are curious and have those natural aptitudes or traits like analytical thinking, problem solving, troubleshooting, and self-research and curiosity. How do we enable those people to kind of explore the field, get excited, start developing skills, and then ultimately raise their hand and get into jobs without actually having five years experience in a degree in computer science, which tends to be the makeup of people that have access to those jobs today. So that's how I think of it as it relates to democratising access to cyber in the wider industry where we help large enterprise organizations sort of do that as a company is we use our software to help identify those people to measure the capabilities to look for those traits and develop those people so they can start to unlock jobs with organizations based purely on hands-on skills and talent rather than academic background experience where you went to school you know ethnicity age etc.
1: I 100% agree with that. It's interesting that you kind of bring up the desire for people to have kind of degrees and and the qualifications behind it. uh, Because there is that kind of block when people are wanting to get into this organization. But then you also have people, you know, I've done hundreds and thousands of these conversations now with cybersecurity experts. And we always start with, oh, how did you get into cybersecurity? Oh, I just fell into it. I moved from one thing to another. And, And that's what we kind of need to hear more of in terms of as we're going forward, because as you say, there is a shortage and we need that kind of more people in to defend against these threats. And, you know, let's, let's scream about the paving really well, even how we entice people in a little bit more. Yeah. So as we kind of go forward with this, I'm, I'm just kind of curious because an element of this is kind of having every department having a hand in, cybersecurity and going forward. And we're seeing this a lot, not only in cybersecurity, but in data, You know, every company wants to have a data culture, everyone's involved. And now we're seeing what, what we're talking about is the different departments having a hand in organization security. So talk to me about maybe the benefits of that, but also the age old adage of, isn't there that risk of having too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to dealing with these threats?
0: Yeah, it's a really good point. And the question sort of, you know, as we want to sort of federate the responsibility of cybersecurity across an organization, how do, we, how do we ensure the right things are being done by the right people? So we we kind of came up with this saying, I think it was last year, which is cybersecurity is no longer the responsibility of the geeks in the basement or mm-hmm. the technical gurus in the IT office. Actually, it's becoming a business-wide enabler and also risk. So part of the vision of, of us Immersive Labs and Cyber Workforce Optimization is ensuring the right people have the right knowledge, skills, and judgment as it relates to cybersecurity for their role. Like a one size fits all approach doesn't work, but I do want to know that my legal team understand governance, risk, and compliance issues as it relates to our business in the countries we operate. I want to know the developers who work for us and develop and build great applications understand how to identify and remove vulnerabilities in their code. I want to be able to prove that my executives can make the right decisions when faced with a crisis and that we can measure that and improve over time, as well as ensuring all of the technical people in the red and the blue teams have those hands on skills to counter the latest threats. So for me, there isn't a risk of having too many cooks. It's probably more about ensuring the right people have the right knowledge and skills and judgments relevant to their role in a way that we can prove it.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. it's. I was playing devil's advocate there. I really do agree that this should be the case across organizations. It's um from anyone within an organization, having that cybersecurity uh, savvy in terms of how they go about their daily jobs, even if we just take the basics of kind of phishing attacks coming into an organization, whether that's someone from HR all the way up to the IT department, guys within the security team, it's stuff that they need to be made aware of. And widening that kind of skills gap is is something that needs to really kind of be addressed so when we talk about this access across teams and making sure that everyone is kind of at least present of the basics up until the advance but that's going to bring about its own set of challenges so what are these challenges that they're gonna face in organizations if they democratize this access to cybersecurity across these teams that aren't it focused or cybersecurity savvy as i was mentioning previously
0: yeah, I, so I think um, companies today, they know this is an issue, but I think, uh, they're, I think they're trying like a one-size-fits-all approach. And if we think about the maturity model of uh, enterprises going around sort of upskilling the workforce as it relates to people's role, I think today there's been like much of it's from, from a compliance lens. So, yeah, we have phishing turned on and we track when people click phishing links and everyone every year has to do the annual mandatory security awareness training which is generally speaking kind of soul destroying race to the finish e-learning you know the multiple choice quiz it's not actually measuring the impact of that content it's not measuring the risk of those individuals as it relates to your business so if you can't measure it why do it you know you're just proving a tip box so for me the challenges are how do we ensure we've got the right modality for the right audience So that we're engaging the right people with the right content at the right time relative to the threats they face to actually measure and show improvement over time. And how does that compare to the industry average? I think it's not the role of any vendor to say, hey, you're secure. But what we can do is say, hey, relevant to your peers in the industries that you are in, in the geos and the regions and company size, this is where we think you've got really great security awareness, technical skills, compliance. And here's where there might be room for improvement. Because as long as we can just show improvement over time and developing that muscle memory, that's how we can ultimately reduce risk uh, across the business.
1: Yeah, of course. We always talk about this kind of training education as being the most important because it is. The more you're aware of it, the the more you kind of um, ingrain it in your head that this is what you need to be focusing on. Do you think that there's kind of this risk of burnout though when we're kind of having these conversations, especially within an organisation? Because, for example, yesterday we were doing a conversation on now there's threats that organizations need to be wary of from social media and how companies interact with their social media channels. And, you know, that's normally when people kind of let their guards down. And then if you have your workers who have to be on thinking about cybersecurity all the time at work, and then even on lunch breaks, they've now got to be aware of this. And even after work, how do you kind of combat that element of it as well?
0: It's a real challenge, isn't it? I think One of the things that we've even seen internally in our organization, for example, is people when they're in what I call like work mode, so they're looking at their inbox and they're working, they're on Slack, they're generally pretty resilient and we've used programs to help get them there. But what happens is on a Saturday when they get a text message to their personal phone pretending to be me, you know, and they're like, oh, James needs something, it's the weekend. And they're like, but because they're not in that work mode, they've kind of shifted their wrist posture or their behavior. So what we need to try and do is rather than burnout, we try and need to look at what I think is Almost a level playing field of cyber hygiene that relates to our personal lives that we take into work rather than having a business mindset that we turn off when we leave the office. So it's hard to have these two identities as it relates to thinking about cybersecurity. So anything we can do is have commonality of these are the the types of things that attackers are doing. This is the types of approaches they'll use. And I think the biggest piece of advice that we sort of give to our teams, for example, is just almost this stop and think. Like just five seconds before you reply, before you get, before you take a call, before you click on, just think, does this feel right? Would this be normal? Would this be expected? And almost just question yourself, because that is often all it takes It's just five seconds to go, does this seem right? And that's normally enough regard, yeah, regarding any kind of threat.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And it's, it's, it's having that kind of on off uh, switch that people kind of talk about which is going to be so important kind of going forward, because we can't expect everyone to be on all of the time, uh, 24-7 when we're kind of having this. So when we're kind of, we've been speaking about, obviously, how we kind of approach this resiliency across all departments. And from your perspective, how whose responsibility is it really to kind of make sure that this is followed? Who should really be taking the role of this? And what, key goals and milestones should they be implementing for organizations to hit? And I know this is different for every organization and the process that they do, but uh, if you can maybe provide us some examples there.
0: Yeah, I think the I think because every business is different, it's hard to know what good looks like because every company has its own risks. So one of the things that we've been using to help our customers is a maturity model that you, you know, uh, applies to every business, which is how do you want the business to feel as it relates to cyber resilience? So, for example, we might have some customers at resilience level one who are doing the basics around what we've just talked about, sort of mandatory security awareness. You know, sending people on a classroom based course in the security team and relying on certifications and doing annual audits with the big four. That's kind of like a low level of maturity in terms of the roles that are responsible for championing this. I think it starts at the board. So now boards have to be responsible for cybersecurity. They are ultimately accountable for the risks of running their business. They can then delegate some of that uh, initiating programs and processes to their chief information security officer, who would typically be the person that we would speak to in a large uh, enterprise organization. And then it's working with that CSA to put a program of work in. It's it's very hard to sort of turn a tanker around, you know, once it's underway and to set sail. So we look at what are the things that we're going to do first that are going to move the needle the most. So if an organization, for, for example, is suffering from lots of continued breaches or incidents because of weak or vulnerable software or supply chain in the software like let's focus there first that's where we get the biggest bang for our buck then let's focus on the how are we going to exercise cloud engineers then let's focus on how we're going to upskill the blue team then actually we're going to bring the red team in house how are we going to upskill them and actually you can start building these programs in so after one year you've moved up to like maturity level two or three where you can start to prove reduction vulnerabilities you can you know, increase retention in the SOC based on uh, identifying skilled people. You can reduce your mean time to respond based on having the right skills, like as it relates to MITRE attack across the team. And then moving all the way up through to level five, which is, you know, not only are you continually exercising everyone in the business relevant to their role, but you're doing it with your supply chain and third parties as well. So you've got this whole resilience program, not only that you're looking after yourself, but you're making sure that your third party risk is included in that.
1: Amazing. That's so important to have and uh, great to kind of hear um, that organizations can kind of develop and, and push forward with. Just just to wrap up here, uh, obviously, I want to talk a little bit more about Immersive Labs. Uh, you guys work to kind of champion cross-department cyber resiliency. As we've kind of talked about here, you've got the Cyber Workforce Optimization Platform. Can you maybe walk us through how your technology kind of helps to empower organizations, some things that you're excited about, if you've got any use case examples, don't have to name names. But if there's anything you kind of want to crow about, now's the time. <laughs> Thank you. So
0: um, as, I, as I think about cyber resilience uh, in the way that we do it to our platform, I think for me, cybersecurity is the, the reason why cybersecurity is so different as a challenge is it's all encompassing and it changes all of the time. So the idea or the concept that you can go, hey, we're secure because someone went in our classroom-based course three years ago and has a CISSP is kind of ridiculous. Because in the last three years, there's been a whole new ton of threats, threat actors, vulnerabilities, and issues of compliance that relate to business. So the first thing is speed. So um, one of the things we do at Immersive Labs, for example, is when a new threat goes live, we aim to turn that into an exercise or crisis simulation within a few hours. So when Log4j hit in December, Within a few hours, we had both offensive and defensive hands-on cyber labs in our platform that were rolled out to all of our customers. So rather than reading about it on LinkedIn or Twitter, they could get their hands on the threat and not only do that, but prove their ability to detect and respond to it in their own environment, which helps them ultimately improve their response times in a way that can be measured. So I think that's one of the unique things about Immersive that helps customers. Second thing is just how we do it. So like I said, it's, it's no good putting people in front of a video or a classroom or anything like that to try and measure capability. So through our platform, exercising teams, which is like, hey, this breach has happened. Now you need to prove to us you can resolve it. We get that measurement, and it's through that measurement you can start to do lots of interesting things. So for example, one of our customers, at Hamilton Capital, they had a sock, and they had a janitor that was coming in through the sock and was like, hey, I want to join the cybersecurity team. This is really cool. But they didn't have that underlying knowledge or skills in a way that could be measured. So they actually gave this janitor one of the licences to Immersive Labs that the cyber team had. And that individual then solved all of these really complex cyber challenges over the course of two months in the platform. Nice. And then they gave him a job in the security team. Like, I love that.
1: Yeah, amazing. So
0: that t- ties all the way back to start, which is how do we democratize access cybersecurity? Well, you actually need to be able to measure and prove capability, not only an individual and team level, but an organizational level. So I think that makes you know, Immersive Labs unique through our platform is not only can we help upskill people, not only can we do that at speed based on the latest threats, but all of it is measurable so you can actually prove cyber resilience. And I think that's the thing that companies are screaming for Say, It's how do I prove it? I'm spending all of this money on technology, process, people, compliance. How do I prove it? How do I show that if something was to happen today, our team have got the muscle memory to respond?
1: it's so true and it's it's becoming more and more important and it, it's great to kind of see guys like you in the space trying to help with that problem and really kind of showcase what these organizations can do and prove that the stacks that they're bringing in the solutions they're bringing in are working so it's an exciting time and i'm I'm very curious to see what the future holds in regards to the space for sure so james all i can say is thanks for coming on today walking us through all of this and uh, hopefully giving some people some food for thought it's been a pleasure thank you for having me. No worries at all, James. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this episode. We do hope you took a lot away from this episode. And if you are looking for more information on what we've discussed today, find out a little bit more about Immersive Labs, then make sure you do go check them out at immersivelabs.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, you can join the conversation at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. Subscribe to this podcast on all major podcasting platforms. And of course, for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com.